You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with the sermon this afternoon, in which the seventh commandment, the commandment against adultery, will have our attention. I'd invite you to turn, first of all, to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy chapter 22. We'll read the verses 13 through 30. If a man takes a wife and, after lying with her, dislikes her and slanders her and gives her a bad name, saying, I married this woman, but when I approached her, I did not find proof of her virginity, then the girl's father and mother shall bring proof that she was a virgin to the town elders at the gate. The girl's father will say to the elders, I gave my daughter in marriage to this man, but he dislikes her. Now he has slandered her and said, I did not find your daughter to be a virgin. But here is the proof of my daughter's virginity. Then her parents shall display the cloth before the elders of the town, and the elders shall take the man and punish him. They shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the girl's father, because this man has given an Israelite virgin a bad name. She shall continue to be his wife. He must not divorce her as long as he lives." If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the girl's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of the town shall stone her to death. She has done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The girl because she was in a town and did not scream for help and the man because he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil from among you. But if out in the country a man happens to meet a girl pledged to be married and rapes her, only the man who has done this shall die. Do nothing to the girl. She has committed no sin deserving death. This case is like that of someone who attacks and murders his neighbor. For the man found the girl out in the country, and though the betrothed girl screamed, there was no one to rescue her. If a man happens to meet a virgin who is pledged to be married and rapes her, and they are discovered, he shall pay the girl's father fifty shekels of silver. He must marry the girl, for he has violated her. He can never divorce her as long as he lives. A man must not marry his father's wife. He must not dishonor his father's bed. Let's turn now to Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your, lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Our text this afternoon is the Word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 41 of the Heidelberg Catechism concerning the Seventh Commandment. What does the Seventh Commandment teach us? That all unchastity is cursed by God? We must therefore detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives, both within and outside of holy marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and similar shameful sins? 
Since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in a way, I really hope that adultery is not the first thing on your mind on this Thanksgiving, as we remember the good blessings that God has given to us. But yet, in another way, I hope to bring the matter to the front of your mind this afternoon. What, you're probably asking in your heads, has adultery to do with thanksgiving? Adultery and the seventh commandment, perhaps not what you would expect on Thanksgiving Sunday afternoon. And this is, in fact, more broadly, even, how we often come to this commandment, isn't it? Just the way the passages that we read, heavy passages, Lord's Day 41 in the Heidelberg Catechism, quite a negative Lord's Day, telling us of all the things we ought not to do. As we mentioned with the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. That's one where we often, as we hear that commandment stated, we often sort of have a sense of, well, I'm not guilty of that one. I'm, I'm fine as far as the sixth commandment goes. I haven't murdered anyone lately. Let's move along. But isn't it true that when we come to the seventh commandment, it's the opposite for us? We all understand, I think, how far-reaching this commandment is. We all understand how it pierces our hearts, pierces our consciences, how it exposes for us our deepest secrets and desires. And so even more, you're thinking, what are we to be thankful for with this commandment? But brothers and sisters, there is much to be thankful for in this commandment. And there is much thankfulness to express to our God, the God who has saved us through obedience to this commandment. It is, in fact, a beautiful commandment. And it is given to us by God in his grace so that our lives more and more might be transformed to become beautiful as well. To, to become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ, who in every way lived a, a holy, pure, and chaste life. And in doing so, he brought glory to the Father in heaven. And so that's what we'll consider this afternoon. And we will, as our theme states, thank the Lord for the seventh commandment. We give thanks to the Lord for the seventh commandment. We'll consider first then what we're thankful for. That is, what is this commandment talking about? And then we'll consider how we are to be thankful. What does thankfulness in line with this commandment look like? What does thankful obedience to the seventh commandment look like? And finally, we'll consider why we are thankful. Just to sort of sum it all up the many things that we can be thankful for in the grace of our God in giving us this commandment. So first of all, 
As we thank the Lord for the seventh commandment this afternoon, we consider what we are thankful for. And we need to understand what this commandment actually says. It says briefly, you shall not commit adultery. Well, what is adultery? Well, adultery, probably best defined as having sexual intercourse with someone other than one's spouse as a married or even as a betrothed person. So adultery is having sexual intercourse with someone other than your spouse as a married or even a betrothed person. So adultery, then, first of all, is about the preservation of marriage. It's about the preservation of that covenant of marriage, where two become one flesh, and therein is where sexual relations and sexual intimacy is to take place. Now, it's interesting, actually, to note what more specifically this command forbids. If you would, turn to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10 in your Bibles. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, you notice what more specifically this commandment against adultery is talking about. The commandment specifically is forbidding sexual intercourse with the wife or betrothed of another man. So it's focused on men. Leviticus 20 verse 10. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. And the same thing happens, it happened in our reading in Deuteronomy 22. There again, the the command is focused on men, first of all. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die, you must purge the evil from Israel. And so this commandment about adultery is, in fact, first of all, focused upon men. That's where it is focused in the law of God, the Old Testament. And so you ask, what's going on here? Are are women not culpable in the sin? Well, yes, they certainly are. Both passages go on to say that both men and man and woman are responsible and thus would be punished. As, again, in Deuteronomy 22, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. But the responsibility, the culpability, was in the first place with the man. The character of the sin as well, it seems, was in the first place with the husband of the other woman. Again, if you're still open to Leviticus chapter 20, notice how it's stated there. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, and then it even says it again, with the wife of his neighbor. It's a sin not only between a man and a woman, but it's a sin between a man and the husband of the woman that the man has committed the sin with. And so what's at issue here is the breaking of trust between neighbors, between men. The breaking of trust and the destruction of honor by one man toward another man, his neighbor. 
Those things are emphasized both in Leviticus 20 and in Deuteronomy chapter 22. Now, this highlights the patriarchal character of Israelite society, where men are were the heads and the representatives of their families. This language may sound strange to our culture today. It wouldn't have sounded strange to the Israelites in those days, to speak of this commandment, first of all, being about a man and and a sin against his neighbor when he commits adultery with his neighbor's wife. But this commandment reflects more than just a patriarchal society. This commandment reflects God's creation order. This is how God commanded things to be, that a husband would be the head of his wife. Man was created first, the Apostle Paul says, And thus he is the head of his wife when they become one flesh. And so this command against adultery shows the the strength and the quality of that bond that exists between husband and wife. That's one thing that comes out very strongly, primarily, in fact, with this commandment against adultery, is that unbreakable bond between a man and his wife, such that man becomes the head The woman becomes the helpmate, and the two are joined, as God's word says, into one. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself says, What God has brought together in marriage, let man not separate. Now this also shows the character of headship. The wife's identity becomes aligned with and even subsumed under that of her husband. He is her representative, and therefore a sin which violates her is also a sin which violates him. And so bringing this all together, you see in the first place that this commandment against adultery is for the preservation and the protection of this bond of marriage. The bond between husband and wife is to protect that bond. To make sure that nothing does come against it and separate it. And along with that, it also serves to protect the bond of love between neighbors. So this commandment is all about protecting relationships within society. Especially within the house of God. Adultery, you understand, breaks those bonds breaks the bonds of marriage and it breaks the bond of neighborly love in society it damages those bonds but that's not all that adultery hurts it's destructive not only to marital relationships and to neighborly relationships but actually adultery is destructive to one's own self proverbs 6 verse 32 a man who commits adultery lacks judgment whoever does so destroys himself Furthermore, adultery is destructive to the whole fabric of society. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, that refrain that came over and over again with all of these uh, as, as punishment, as the punishments were given for these sexual sins and these sins of adultery, God gave these punishments in order to, do you remember that refrain that came over and over? To cleanse the land from evil. To cleanse the land from evil. God revealed that tolerance of this sin would spread through the whole community like gangrene and would destroy it. 
And so rather than the whole society be destroyed, it was necessary that those who had committed the sin would be punished, would be firmly and comprehensively dealt with. And so adultery is not, as is often understood today, just some sort of private, minor sin, relatively innocent uh, sin that's acted out between two people. But rather, it's a sin that strikes at the most important bonds within our society, and in fact, all of the bonds of our society. It harms the bond of marriage, of neighbor, and society at large. And so the effect of adultery is widespread. We need to understand that this this command not only goes broad, it also goes very deep. When this command comes to us, you shall not commit adultery, it also is very comprehensive. It's true that in the law, Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy chapter 22, that where adultery is, is spelled out, it deals with the case of a man and the, the man's neighbor's wife or his betrothed. But its scope is not only limited to those cases. By preserving and upholding sexual integrity within the marriage relationship, this command by doing that also excludes all other forms, all other sexual relationships outside of marriage. And that is before, that's during, of course, and then that's also after marriage. Regardless of the circumstance of the other complying party. And so this commandment against adultery also includes within its scope all sexual relationships outside of marriage. It therefore forbids all sexual immorality. And as the law goes on to say, it it excludes bestiality, homosexuality, all sexual immorality. And yes, in fact, as we read in, as we read in Matthew 5, the Lord Jesus shows us that this commandment is not only about the, these actions, sexually immoral actions, but even about the intent. It's not even about the action of doing it, but adultery begins in the heart with a desire. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her. In his heart. It begins with a desire. Desire gives birth to intent. Intent gives birth to sin. And so the catechism is absolutely right when it says, what does the seventh commandment teach us? That all unchastity is cursed by God. And that includes things, as we go on to read, that even things that might entice us to unchastity. And so this commandment, the, remember, the context that we're talking about this, the what are we thankful for, what is this commandment about? This commandment covers a lot of ground. Now, the question that very likely comes to mind after hearing all that this commandment encompasses is, how are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? How are we going to be able to show thankfulness to God by this commandment when this commandment exposes so much of our sinful hearts? So much of the sin that still clings to us. 
How can we, men of men and women of sexual sins who live among a society full of adultery, how can we, in our time and place, show ourselves thankful to God? What hope do we have? And so we will consider now, in the second place, how we show our thankfulness to the Lord. That question is an important one to consider. How are we going to show our thankfulness to God? And again, given the character and quality of our times, this is increasingly difficult for God's people. We live in a hyper-sexualized culture, a culture where, where sex and sexuality is, is spoken about, is broadcast all over the place. Lots of sex in our culture, but at the same time, where marriage is on the decline, where marriage is not understood, where marriage is not maintained and not appreciated. So we live in very troubling times with respect to the seventh commandment. We live in a time where increasingly the biblical norms about sexual relations are being ignored or frowned upon. We're told that they are repressive. We're told that they're foolish. Nobody believes that kind of stuff anymore. Why don't you grow up and get with the times? And where we may maintain some degree of safety in marriage still being the norm and adultery not, yet even within our culture, there are many, many enticements to unchastity, as question answer 109 speaks about. Yes, it includes prostitution and pornography, includes romance novels and, and the newest form of romance novels, the ones that are, that are hyper-sexualized and have no limitations, the books like Fifty Shades of Grey. We see that primetime sitcoms are, are talking about, uh, have sexual innuendo all over them, and even a lot of kids' movies, cartoons, kids' shows, full of sexual innuendo. It's almost impossible in our culture to get away from these, this unchastity and immorality. But yet, we need to ask this question. Because this question of how are we to be thankful today in our day and age, how do we are to be thankful for this commandment, moves us to the heart of thankfulness, in fact, itself. It teaches us more than just about the seventh commandment. It teaches us about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's only through understanding the gravity of sin that we see the grace of God in Jesus Christ. All of our thankfulness as Christians is premised on the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this world to to fulfill God's law. And he fulfilled this command for us. He was obedient to this seventh commandment. And so this means not that our obedience to the commandment is meaningless for us, but rather that the work of Jesus Christ and what he has already done on our behalf in his, his pure and chaste and disciplined life, it changes the character of our obedience from a sort of meaningless or hopeless toil who can stand in this culture who can stand in the seventh commandment, but it moves our obedience not from hopeless toil, 
but rather to thankful obedience. The commandment no longer condemns us, but it points us forward. It leads us on in obedience. In Christ, we don't stand condemned under the seventh commandment. In Christ, we don't obey the seventh commandment to earn our salvation before God. In Christ, we do stand redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. All of our sexual sins, all of our adultery, even within the heart, washed by his blood. In Christ, we are equipped by the Holy Spirit to more and more be able to live a holy life, even in a perverse culture. And show, and so it is that we show our thankfulness. And we do it in three ways. First of all, we show our thankfulness to God by fleeing from the sin of adultery. By fleeing from the sin of adultery, redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ, we still flee from the sin of adultery. God, in fact, has given us this command so that we as his people might be able to recognize what sin is and so that we might avoid it and not fall under its temptation. This, of course, begins by rejecting outright the reality, the possibility, the temptation to dishonor our neighbor and to destroy the God-made relationships that he's given us by having sexual intercourse outside of our marriages whether we're in marriage or not. And moving out from that, it means also that in avoiding this sin, we avoid people and situations that might lead us to commit this sin. That there are relationships which are not safe for us as Christians to have because they are enticements to unchastity. It means that there are places that we as Christians need to avoid because they are enticements to unchastity. It means if you have a relationship where adultery is a temptation or even a possibility, it means you need to either radically redefine that relationship or you need to end it altogether for the preservation of love and of service to God. It also means, of course, that you're going to avoid places where, where sexual immorality is, is being promoted. And is being, in fact, even advertised to you. Of course, it means avoiding strip clubs and and porn sites. But it also includes avoiding dance clubs and a lot of bars, especially at certain hours of the day, where sexual immorality is top of mind for most of the people there. Sure, you might say it's just a good time. It's somewhere to have fun. You know the truth. You know that these places exist for the the giving, for the delighting in sexual immorality. It means that you avoid places where adultery is glorified, such as many movies, television shows, It certainly means that when you pursue entertainment, you're not going to read books, as I mentioned, like Fifty Shades of Grey or or this this newly growing uh, segment of romance novels. It means also there are certain conversations, social outings, uh, social groups and outings that you're not going to take take part in because of the temptation to adultery and to the unchaste 
and unwholesome language that exists there. God shows us what sin is so that we might avoid it, that we might recognize it and flee from it. It's sort of like going to a Thanksgiving dinner. God lays out a a table for us. But then we're told, but don't eat the beef because there's a massive recall all throughout Canada and this beef is tainted. And if you eat it, you're going to get E. coli poisoning. And so we respond by saying, oh, okay, and then helping ourselves to the beef. Or just having a little nibble off the edge or sprinkling it through our salad. No, sin is sin. Adultery is destructive. And so God calls us to avoid it. The beginning of giving thanks within this commandment is recognizing sin and not taking part in it. But there is more. Second, it means that we thank God by resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not just once, but always. We live in a time, we've mentioned that, when our whole culture is saturated with sexual immorality. And as a result, many of us know this sin of adultery, don't we? Many of us have tasted its bitter fruit. Many of us have nibbled at the edges. Some of us have jumped headlong into its embrace. All of us have violated this commandment in one way or another. Consider that. What would we do if we had no Savior? Can you atone for your own sin? Can you make up for the damage that you've done to God and to neighbor? Are you able to to wash yourself clean from this sin? You know how pervasive it is, how it sticks to your conscience. Would you be able to remove that from your conscience all by yourself? And so, brothers and sisters, how beautiful, how lovely is the work of Jesus Christ. How beautiful is the perfect life of Jesus Christ, which never lusted after a woman, which never had impure thoughts about a sister in the kingdom, who never dishonored his neighbor, even in his mind, even in his deepest and most hidden thought. He never sinned against this commandment. And so it was with this sexually perfect, pure life that he went to the cross In our place. He offered up this perfect life to the Father. Jesus Christ is what the result of forgiveness looks like. Completely pure and holy. And as he offered up his sexually pure life to God, he also took upon himself all of our sexual guilt and shame. He carried our perversions, our lusts, our adulterous acts, and he bore God's punishment against them on the cross. We live in thankfulness to God when every day we acknowledge the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we acknowledge what Jesus Christ has done on the cross in bringing before the Lord his perfect life, 
and bearing from the Lord his punishment against our sins. Like Pastor Yacht said this morning, at our Thanksgiving dinners, it's good to thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ, along with everything else the Lord gives us, the blessings of food and family, health and life. And third, we thank God by fleeing from sin. We thank God by resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And third, we thank God by pursuing a life of radical obedience to this commandment. Yes, we flee from sin. But this commandment also calls us to act positively. This commandment teaches us how to live. And the, the first area is, of course, within marriage relationships. Adultery does not happen in a vacuum for someone in a marriage. It probably very rarely, if ever, happens to happily married couples who have a healthy and satisfying relationship with each other. And so this is a command for all married and pre-married couples to invest in and nurture and grow in healthy relationships with each other, husband and wife. Preserving that bond is not only protecting it from threats, but also nurturing and fostering it from within. This is a command for a husband to love his wife and take her out for dinner, or do things that she enjoys. This is a command for a wife to tell her husband that she loves him, that she appreciates him, and that she wants to help him. And so, yes, of course, this includes a healthy, intimate life within marriage, but it goes far beyond that. A healthy, intimate life within marriage is, in a sense, merely a consequence of a healthy relationship between husband and wife. And so this commandment teaches us to nurture those relationships. But this commandment goes beyond, and it goes, it calls us to have healthy relationships with the opposite sex in general. That means establishing boundaries and healthy guidelines within our relationships with others, especially of the opposite sex. And again, before, during, and after marriage. There is such a thing as a good and healthy friendship between a man and a woman who are not husband and wife. However, that relationship will have necessary boundaries and guidelines in place. And that that relationship will never be the same as one between a man and a man, that sort of friendship, or between a woman and a woman. The seventh commandment teaches us to respect those boundaries. In fact, the seventh commandment teaches us to respect and to nurture relationships with all others, with our neighbor. This is a command to love our neighbor, specifically within the context of sexuality. Beyond even relationships, this is a command for us to pursue good and wholesome work and leisure activities. There are lots of entertainment options for us, and many of which contain enticements to unchastity, but many of which don't. This is a command to pursue those ones that don't, to find joy and fulfillment in your leisure and in your work, in doing the things that can avoid immorality and adultery. Pursue those activities and entertainment, leisure and recreation, 
and enjoy the blessing of a chaste and disciplined life inside and outside of holy marriage. So, brothers and sisters, we are not hopelessly lost in this sinful and adulterous generation. We are the redeemed of the Father. We are sanctified in Jesus Christ. We're being made holy through the Holy Spirit. And so we can thank God for the blessing of a sexually pure life and for the power that he works within us to pursue this in all aspects of our lives. And so finally, in summary, in closing, and close, closing, continuing in the theme of thankfulness, let's collect some of these reasons for thankfulness that the Lord has given us in this command. Again, you might not have had adultery, top of mind, top of list in your thankfulness this weekend, but certainly we have much to be thankful for. We can be thankful for this commandment because God has, by giving it, protected his people from the harmful effects of sexual immorality on ourselves, on our loved ones, on our families, on our churches, on our relationship with him. Thank God that he calls us to sexually pure lives. We can thank God for this commandment because God has given marriage to his people as a good and a healthy place for sexual relations. Within the safe bounds of marital commitment and love, the special gift of sexual intimacy can be enjoyed to the glory of God, and we can thank him for that. We can be thankful for this commandment because God, by his grace, has provided redemption through his son. Redemption from relational sin, redemption from sexual sin. In revealing Jesus Christ, God has revealed true and complete forgiveness of all our sins, washing away of our guilt and our shame. And we can be thankful for this commandment because God, by his grace, gives his spirit, who sets us apart for relational and sexual holiness and purity, both for the married and for the unmarried. The Spirit equips us and strengthens us so that more and more we can submit ourselves to God and give praise and glory to Him with our bodies, with our relationships, with every aspect of our lives. And so, brothers and sisters, let's thank God for the gift of the Seventh Commandment. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, We do give you our thanks for this commandment. We thank you that you show us what sin is and so guide us in the way of righteousness. We thank you for the work of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the declaration through him and in him of us. You can say, that we are innocent of sin, that we are innocent of sexual sin because it has been washed away completely from our account so that we are counted righteous before you. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who equips us and leads us in the way of righteousness, the way of purity the way of blessing. We know that when we follow your commands, we will find much joy, much fulfillment. 
We will find that whether we are married or whether we aren't. We know that for all of us, this command is good. And we thank you for the grace that you have shown us in giving it to your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.